I sold all my crypto during the May 2021 crash, not because of panic, but paying for my son's chemotherapy is the best decision I've ever made, even though he's gone now. Wow. And like that just really, I don't know, it just really hit me and I was like, wow. And I feel like part of the reason I love that so much is certainly in the crypto space, it's very easy to lose track of the utility of the money in the real world. Hello and welcome to DeFire, the crypto storytelling podcast where we explore the human side of the crypto world. My name is Jonas and today on the show you will get to listen to the silky voice of a British man that goes by the name of Alpha or Alpha Illustrated. Alpha is the mastermind behind Coinfessions, a website where you can anonymously post crypto-related confessions. With over 150,000 followers on his Twitter account, Alpha provides an outlet for people who want to get their secrets off their chest and share it with the world. You'll get to hear some of his favorite confessions throughout the episode, so make sure to stick around. Join us as we explore Alpha's journey and learn how a logo competition kickstarted his Twitter account, his thoughts on different traders on crypto Twitter and more. Buckle up for a fascinating conversation that delves into what it means to make it and whether there will be cake. But before we start, a quick word from our sponsor. CryptoValley.jobs is a job board where engineers, designers, analysts, traders and community builders can find cool crypto jobs. Full disclosure, I run this job board. So if you're looking for a job or you want to advertise an open position, please go and visit CryptoValley.jobs. And while you're there, make sure to sign up on the email lists so you're always informed when new jobs are posted on the platform. That's CryptoValley.jobs. And now let's start the show. We're live. Well, thank you so much to come on the show. Alpha, one thing that I always need is like, give us a short introduction, state your name, who you are, what you do, etc. For sure. Well, firstly, thanks for having me on the show. I get approached to do a lot of these sort of things, especially through the Coinfessions inquiries form and yours really stood out. So I thought, you know, this is a guy that I can sort of trust and, and have a good conversation with. And at the same time, a lot of my success has been born from other people being generous with their time. I'm sure we'll come on to, to talk about my various projects, but it felt only right that I should sort of pay it back. So, you know, I'm Alpha or Alpha Illustrated, and I started life as a designer, specifically in the crypto space, with the premise of illustrating Alpha, <laughs> illustrating good trading advice, trading best practice concepts, trying to turn them into memorable, minimal designs. And following that, I expanded out and have started a number of other projects, including Coinfessions and a weekly newsletter with a few other traders from Crypto Twitter that interviews successful traders from the space, as well as provide analysis on the markets and the NFT space. And how I found you was through Coinfessions and I don't know how it grew and I would be interested in knowing how that whole thing started. But for me, suddenly it was here and then it popped up all the time, you know, and they have like this mm. signature style with the yellow and black. And I've seen that all of the people that I follow also follow you. And somehow it really captured 
something special where people can express themselves in the bear market. People have been hit hard by the downturn. A lot of people have lost a lot of money. So it's very interesting to hear some of the confessions. Yeah, I mean, I can give you a quick introduction to how Coinfessions came around, if you like. And actually, all mm -hmm. three of the projects are related. And it first started with the illustration side of things. And I started off crawling Twitter, following traders that I respected, and taking some of their tweets, some of the advice that they've given in tweets, and turning them into illustrations. And after a while, I began to run out of steam sort of running out of content. So I decided to start reaching out to traders personally with some questions that I thought might yield interesting responses. The responses were overwhelmingly elaborate and they gave me much more detail than I was anticipating. So I thought, well, what I could do is I could actually start putting these out as full interviews rather than just kind of taking a couple of phrases from them. And what really struck me from week after week of conducting these interviews was the real disconnect between the best practice and the good advice that these successful traders give you, you know, manage your risk, do your research, journal all of your trades, analyze your performance, all of this sort of stuff. That was coming through, but the reality of how I knew people were behaving was very different. And so mm -hmm. it gave me the idea for the Coinfessions account and, you know, Confessions accounts are nothing new. I haven't invented sort of a new medium or anything like that, but I saw a space where maybe we saw the other side of that coin. So rather than here's how the best of the best do it, it's here's mm -hmm. how, you know, people are actively sort of out there that out there doing it. And so, yeah, I set it up. I, I did a really good thread actually on how I designed the branding. So it's nice to hear that you say it's, you know, it's very recognizable and very, and stands out because I put a lot of thought into, you know, the coloring and, you know, the, just the overall design and layout of it and had to get the ball rolling a little bit. So mm -hmm. I had mm -hmm. to seed some of the confessions with some of my own, just so that kind of people understood, okay, that's what this channel is about. This channel's for uh -huh. sharing X, Y, and Z. So I won't tell you which, but you can go back to some of the early ones and, and maybe have a guess. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it, it really, it, it just took off. And what has been really heartwarming are people who come and DM me on the Alpha account, just saying how much they enjoy it, but also how much better it makes them feel. I get a lot of mm -hmm. confessions of people talking about loneliness and isolation, not only in the physical world of being in your room, trying to flip shit coins or NFTs, but in the online realm where everywhere you look, people are sharing success stories, they're sharing PLs, they're sharing successful flips of, you know, 10K collections or whatever it might be. There hasn't really been up until now a space for people to say, actually, it's going really bad for me. And I think mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what's important or kind of what I find interesting is for every story of someone, I don't know, minting a Mechaverse. I don't know if you know what that is. It was an NFT collection launched last year that kind of exploded in popularity and then basically fell off a cliff. So you've yeah, got yeah. stories of people minting one, a rare one and selling it for like 500 ETH or something like that. And now that same thing is worth five ETH. 
And there's a great success story of someone there. There's also the other side of the coin, which is someone buys an asset for 500 and, it, and basically loses all their money. If it's not PVP, it's definitely zero sum in as much as the risk gets handed on to the next counterparty and mm -hmm. eventually the music, the music stops. In terms of timing, I mean, you mentioned the bear market. I think it was just happenstance that it seemed to be perfect for CoinFessions. I launched it in April of last year. And if you think psychologically about sort of where people are in that space, the veneer of, you know, wag me, we are all going to make it to the moon, all that sort of stuff mm -hmm. is beginning to wear off. Obviously, now we're sort of deep in the bear market or maybe have been, you know, who knows if we've actually hit the proper bottom. But I think people were just at that point starting to be seriously underwater on their investments, whether those were in NFTs or coins, but maybe hadn't given up hope, shall we say, of a reversal. You know, we were still, I don't know, 30% off the high. We weren't to obviously to know the pain that was to come and the kind of the, the systemic collapses that, that followed with 3AC, Celsius, FTX, you know, you name it. We get a black swan every week in crypto. And I think it was perfect because I think people were still riding high off the success of the bull run right the way through 2021, which is weird saying now it's already 2023. Like I'm saying 2021 and I feel like it was last year, but it's not. It's it's two years ago. <laughs> yeah. You know, people were still riding, riding high and, you know, celebrating this kind of wag me mentality. But actually the cold realization that we're now drifting further and further away from that sort of euphoria was the perfect kind of melting pot for, for co-infessions. And I think that's why it picked up so much steam so quickly. And there's something mm -hmm. you, you touched on briefly is, and, and one of the reasons I enjoy running it so much is that they tend to be more polarizing or extreme versions of behaviors that many of us can relate to. So whether that is over-risking on a trade because you think it's a sure thing or doubting yourself and, I don't know, selling something too early because you were impatient or there's a classic one from many months ago of some guy that said, I didn't want to take a $50 loss and I ended up taking a $15,000 loss because obviously he entered a position, it moved against him and he just thought, I'll just get back to break even and then I'll close it. And obviously he never got that opportunity for, for, for whatever reason. And while I would never allow that to happen, it's kind of beyond my risk parameters, I can absolutely relate to, and I think a lot of people can, that desire of, oh no, this is going really badly. If I can just sort of get back my principle, if I can just get out, break even, then I'll be happy. And then obviously things just kind of move against mm -hmm. you. So I definitely think there is a relatable element to Coinfessions, but it, it, it tends to be on steroids. You know, the people that write in to Coinfessions are the people that have either had outstanding or outsized success or taken outsized losses and damage. So, you know, you tend to sort of see either end of the spectrum. I do get a couple of people that are like, oh, I'm, I've done quite well. I've made, you know, 500 bucks or something. And while that's great, I, I tend not to publish them simply because 
in terms of entertainment value, yeah, people people would kind of be like, well, so what? So yeah, I tried to keep the the content mix as engaging as I can without making it just sort of loss and doom porn. But I think mm-hmm. that's the reality mm-hmm. of the market that we've seen over the last, say, 12 months is that the positive stories are few and far between. And, and the ones that I do get, I have to really think about whether or not it's, should we say, just boasting or whether there's a real sort of confession in there. And it's a hard one to judge, but I tend to think of it, mm-hmm. is this something that someone would have a problem of sharing from their main account or from, you know, telling their friends and family. If it is, then I'm cool with that. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, I've done a bad thing. It could just be, I've made a hundred grand or whatever. And I, I don't know what to do. I haven't, I haven't told anybody because I'm worried, you know, that they're going to ask me for money or, you know, whatever it might be. So yeah, there's a lot of curating that happens and a lot of editing as you might expect i get a lot of non-english native speakers within the submissions so i just try and tidy them up a little bit kind of make them just a bit more legible a bit more easy to understand i try not mess with the content too much where possible i remove names of specific influencers that are maybe being called out or whatever simply because i don't have the the time effort or inclination to try and verify any of them and it's not fair to kind of unwarranted just start posting stuff saying this influencer shilled this coin or you know made me buy this or whatever that you know i'm, I'm not going to start mm-hmm. throwing mud because then it just becomes a, a nightmare so i try and keep it clean in as much as it can be and it's an odd word to use but i try and run it with integrity which is an odd word to choose when some of the stories are about people, I don't know, robbing elderly people or stealing inheritance from their grandparents and, you know, other, should we say, nefarious deeds that <laughs> I, I would certainly wouldn't and, undertake and, yeah. myself. And betting it all in crypto and losing it all. Or is that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. is that something that happened? Okay. Crazy. Yeah. Let, let me jump in here quickly to go and paddle back a little bit to the beginning that you quickly mentioned just to shine a light on that other project that is called Illustrate Alpha that seems to be mm. your first project. And For when sure. I've seen it, it really reminded me of uh, Jack Butcher's work, uh, Visualize Value. Yeah. Was that inspired yeah. by, by him? Yeah, 100%. 100%. And okay. there have been two phases of the Illustrate Alpha journey. But take it right back to the start. My day job has been, and still is to some extent, a marketing consultant, helping businesses, brands develop their online presence and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I came across Jack's work in, in doing that in an, in an effort to help me crystallize and communicate the strategies that I developed more clearly. While I was doing it, I thought, oh, I'd really love to kind of practice this or try my hand at interpreting his approach but but obviously onto something else although he is heavily into web3 and nfts like his current checks collection is doing incredibly well he's a super super talented guy at the time though all the material that i was learning from it was generally sort of marketing related so i didn't want it to be marketing and business related and so my other passion and interest was crypto and trading specifically. So I thought, well, why don't I just try essentially take the Jack Butcher blueprint 
and see if I can adapt it to sort of trading knowledge and wisdom. And I started an account that was originally called, unoriginally, I should say, called Visualize Alpha, right? So Visualize mm-hmm. Value, I was like, okay, I'll just essentially steal the name <laughs> and I'll just change value for Alpha. And it was basically out of pure laziness. And secondarily, because I didn't really think anything was going to come of it, if that makes sense. It was just a, mm-hmm. a throwaway. More practicing. Yeah, it was like a throwaway thing that I thought some people may make it a kick out of, but I didn't mm-hmm. think it kind of maybe had legs on its own. But then I think it was, it was literally like 10 days after starting it, TradingView, which I don't know if you're familiar with, the charting software that a lot of the people use, I'd Where'd say it's the dom- the dominant yeah. for technical analysis exactly charting yeah yeah triangles and bars yeah and... just li- lines and squiggles <laughs> and candles and all <laughs> yeah. that stuff they they just happened to do a rebrand so they changed their logo which was universally despised shall we say or rejected by the trading community and so it kicked up a bit of a stink as these things always do, every time anything changes their UI or their logo, everyone sort of complains. The new one was not liked, or or the old one. This one, no, the was new not one, liked. I guess. Yeah, so it's the, it looked it's kind of like two lines and a dot, but the old mm-hmm. one was a nice cloud and it had a sort of a chart line moving through it, and it was just very familiar. I think it had been there for years and years and years. So anyway, they've done this. Re- they did this rebrand, and everybody said they hated it. So they took to Twitter and said, "If you can do better." you know, show us. And I thought, well, huh? why not? And I, I made a submission and it got seen by, I guess, a couple of big, big CT traders and they shared it and was like, this is the one, use this, etc." I think it ended up with, I don't know, 5,000 likes and like 2,000 comments and stuff. So it, it kind of properly, it properly went, went off for an account that was only 10 days old. And I, and so that got me to like, I don't know, 1500 followers within, yeah, within 10 days, within two weeks. Oh, wow. And I ended up winning the, the logo competition. They didn't end up using it. They bought the rights off me and gave me some other sort of prizes, which was, which is really great. And they've helped me launch the newsletter and all that sort of stuff. So, but what it really did is it, it just kind of got my foot through the door how much did they pay for a logo they didn't use afterwards? You know, I can't tell you that. <laughs> yeah, but more, more or less, you know, like was it like a thousand bucks and was it just a hundred? <laughs> it was, it was five figures. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Just to, and, and how, how does this work? Because you put it out there, they could have stolen mm-hmm. it as well, right? They could have just I, taken it. I, I mean, I don't know what the, I don't know what the rules specifically regarding intellectual property and kind of public forum are but they obviously well they didn't know that they weren't going to use it at the time you can even find it on my twitter feed essentially i think there was a logo that i was unaware of that looked quite similar it used a sort of i used a a breakout pattern which is basically a, a diagonal line going up and then sort of breaking through a line as part of the design and there is another logo that uses that and while I, I personally don't see the relationship kind of between the two logos, I can totally understand from a sort of a legal and compliance standpoint that 
a large international business might just want to completely avoid that headache and just kind of mm -hmm. plus they probably paid like six figures to some expensive design agencies to design their current one so you know they probably didn't want to backtrack too hard on it but you know the you know the prize money was good and i've got a um a lifetime license to the 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 product so i've got 40 <laughs> years to make it basically then my trading view expires and i'll have to start yeah. paying to try and keep making it so but that was really that was really kind of them and i'm still in touch with several members of of the team and and they help me out every now and again with giveaways for my newsletter and and other stuff like that so they're yeah they're a good team building a really good product that most crypto users mm -hmm. use every day so it, it's just sort of great to be associated with them yeah and when you think about it also for them, I mean, the, there might not be so many design savvy people or designers out there who have such a deep understanding of their product and the community that they're serving, etc. I mean, you are kind of a unique combination, right? Not all creative people are also kind of into trading or into crypto. How do you reconcile those two different worlds? Well, I mean, I've been involved in crypto since... I think it was like 2013, I bought my first Bitcoin and a friend of mine just messaged me and said, have you heard of Bitcoin? I'm going to get some. <laughs> so I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> I think it was 300 pounds or something at the time. And I, I can just remember having to, I bought it on local Bitcoins where essentially it's just a P2P transaction. So I'm just uh -huh. sending money to some random guy <laughs> and hoping he's sending me Bitcoin back. And I remember my wife came home from work because I, I worked from home at the time anyway. And she said, oh, what have you done today? And I said, well, I, I bought a Bitcoin. And she was like, what's that? And I said, I'm not, I'm not really sure. And she <laughs> said, well, how much was it? And I said, 300 quid. She's like, what? You've just you spent crazy? 300 quid on some like stupid thing. But she's definitely, she's definitely glad I, I did now. Yeah, I think there was kind of like you go a place, you meet up, and then some people use it also in cash, right? Like you go there, you hand over the cash, and then you receive the bit. Yeah, I never did. A, I never did a face-to-face -face transaction. I don't have the genetics for a street fight. I'd rather lose three hundred quid digitally than three hundred quid and my health on the street. So I just chose a digital option. And to be fair. I never had a bad experience from it. You know, I think mm -hmm. a lot of the people in the space back then were, you know, obviously they were speculating and they were trying to make money, but it wasn't the kind of stake that we have at play now. Like I would yeah. never dream of buying a whole Bitcoin, I don't know, call it 21K, I think it is at the moment, and just wiring that to someone through local Bitcoins. And, and I don't know mm -hmm. if local Bitcoins is still operational. I'm sure it is. I but, it you know, is. just for a couple of hundred pounds, yeah. you know, it's worth the risk. Yeah, it, it was more like hobbyists and idealists, and they wanted to spread the word of Bitcoin and probably were excited about meeting up and, you know, like showing this cool thing. But you also worked at home, so you were ahead of the curve. I mean, you worked at home 2013, where probably nobody is working at home <laughs> yet. And you've, uh, yeah. you've also bought Bitcoin 2013. I mean, you seem to have kind of a knack to, to be ahead of the curve. I, I've been working from home since 2012. 11 purely because before that i had a an office job i graduated from university went to an office job at a, a large london-based international marketing firm and i i won't say i hated it 
but I knew it wasn't for me in the long run. I stayed there two years and what I didn't like about it was the, the importance on attendance. It was basically kind of attendance based performance. So it, mm-hmm. you have to be at work to do your work, which is something I inherently disagreed with. And I do think, you know, cause this is a big debate right now. You look at, you know, what's going on with Twitter in terms of everybody being sort of forced to work from the office. I definitely think if you're trying to change the world, like having diligent, hardworking people, everybody together is probably the way to do it. If you're Tesla or SpaceX or, or what have you, but for, I'd say most businesses, I think it's probably pushed a little bit too, too far. So anyway, at the time, I didn't appreciate essentially the idea that, because I was a junior as well, when you're a senior manager, you get more perks and you can just say, oh, I'll be working from home on Thursday or whatever. When you're a junior, you've got to really go in there. And I remember one day in particular, it was a super duper snowy day in London. The underground was shut. The buses were shut. The weather was terrible. And I walked like 12 miles or something like that from my house into the office in the snow, thinking... Oh God, you know, this is really important. And basically I got there and nobody else had bothered. And I just thought (laughs) like, why? Everyone was just like, I'm staying at home. And I'm like, why? A, why am I like this? But B, it just goes to show that when needed, it's fine. People can work from home. And so the, just the arbitrary nature of any large organization that is controlled by, you know, HR and systems and processes and performance reviews and all of that stuff. I just knew that that was never for me. And so I always knew that I wanted to be Mm self-employed, which came a few years later, but a middle ground for me was essentially more autonomy, a greater control over how I spend my time. And, you know, I won't lie. There is an element of, if I feel like I can do my job in five hours a day, then I get a little bit of time back, so to speak, which isn't the most ambitious and sort of driven of career choices. I'm sure I could have (laughs) achieved more had I really kind of exerted myself, but that's not, that's not my character. I've never been ambitious in terms of, I want to have manage a big team and like get a big office and all that sort of stuff. None of that really interests me. I essentially just want to be left alone. (laughs) That's, that's my idea of, of making it is just (laughs) have enough and be left alone. I I can definitely uh, agree on that one. I think a lot of people are actually driven by freedom nowadays more than these other shiny objects. But it also has a downside. I mean, it can get lonely, right? I mean, for sure, if you're yep. working by yourself and it's hard to prioritize because you have probably many ideas. No, I have, and you probably have too. I mean, you have, you, you just mentioned three projects now, um, and probably have always ideas for other ones and opportunities yep. and it's it's yep. hard to focus right and and kind of like push forward as well because it's grinding as well to to push something out it is but i find what helps is the variety so what i find interesting just observing my own behavior is i worked illustrate alpha until not i was bored of it but until i kind of ran out of steam a little bit and i just slowed up on that and then transitioned and introduced the newsletter where it was less design heavy. It was more copy, copywriting and interviewing and, and meeting people like we're meeting today. Mm-hmm. And then ran that for three, four months. And 
again, not that it, I got bored of it, but it sort of, it scratched an itch that I had or like an idea that it had been bubbling. And then I was like, okay, well, coin fashions. So my interest in each of my projects diminishes or increases at any given time. And what's really nice is I can just pick one up and just put real energy into it. And just out of curiosity, and probably a lot of people are interested in that as well. Like, do you, do you find a, a way to monetize all this interest? Because I think the confessions, my guess would be confessions so far, none. Then I would say the get alpha mail, you mentioned you have sponsors. So that, that's a, a way of doing it. And uh, alpha mm -hmm. illustrated is kind of feeding the email. How do you think about these projects? Because at the end of the day, most people also have to somehow pay the bills, etc. Yeah, it's and it's it's super tricky. I think for, for each of the projects, it's slightly different. So the illustration stuff, the Alpha Illustrated, I guess I try and think about what's the proposition for a sponsor. You know, why would they want to be associated with it? It's a hard nut to crack for Alpha Illustrated because the content is trading related, but I'm not portraying myself i'm not positioning myself as a trader so you look at the kind of sponsorships that you tend to get in crypto you get people you know like exchanges you get crypto projects you get nft collections or whoever it might be and they go and sponsor traders and traders say oh i trade on this exchange you can get 10 off with my link or whatever it might be mm -hmm. now i have been approached a couple of times about stuff like that but that's not really why people follow me so it would feel somewhat disingenuous if I, if I did that. And to be fair, I did that for a brief period of time on the newsletter and actually on Coinfessions, which was only, I think, live for a month or two. But it didn't sit well with me. And I'll, I'll, maybe I'll come on to that in, in, a, in a minute. But the, the newsletter is the, actually, sorry, Alpha, Alpha Illustrated first, I guess. I got quite lucky again with the timing of when I set that up because I managed to hit the NFT sort of craze like full on. And when I say full on, obviously I'm not talking, you know, the likes of board apes or, you know, anything like that. It's a completely different proposition. But I think, I, can't, I don't know what the volume done on a couple of my illustrations is, but I think it's like maybe 13, 15 ETH or something like that, which at the time, you know, it's sort of, mid bull run when ETH was trading at four, 5k, that's a significant amount of money that can keep me going and sort of propel me forward. Also worth noting, just before I guess I move on to the others, that I still do my marketing consultancy stuff. I'm not full time crypto. I'm not kind of fully, fully committed. Mm -hmm. Alpha Illustrated also, I get a lot of commission work. So I get approached by a lot of traders looking to I don't know, they might be creating educational content that they want some sort of design help with. Sometimes they're looking for just a complete rebrand because the, you know, the trading space is becoming quite influencer-led. A lot of people are looking to kind of be a marketable personality rather than maybe your old school trader that doesn't really care and just kind of focuses on the charts. There's definitely now this you know, Twitch streaming trader, there's your TikTok mm -hmm. trader and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. So brand and position is, is much more important to them. And like you say, I maybe wouldn't say I'm unique, but I definitely have an, a niche where I fit 
kind of around that sort of crypto design space, which is nice. Can, can I quickly go on a side question about, about you, you know, the people that you are personally interested in and kind of like in the circle that you are in, the traders, right? Uh, can you like give us a, like a, a quick overview for people who are not so familiar with what that means, how traders now they are presenting themselves online? There's TikTok, there's Twitter, there's, you know, there's so much going on. Do you do you think about it in a in an organized way, like you know, top tier traders or people that I follow and respect, and then there's kind of stuff that is kind of a little bit tricky, or you know, uh, I mean, just to have a feeling of the landscape. Not much of my thinking is organized, but I think there's a there's a couple of there's a couple of strands to it, right? So yes, I definitely think I sort of hear traders in my mind, and I'm sure a lot of people do. There's people who I think, okay, this person's legit, whether they're trading with size, you know, like millions and millions of dollars, or whether they're trading with, you know, $10,000, that almost doesn't matter to me. The thing that matters to me is, is purely that they walk the walk as well as talk the talk. And I think you only need to look through the list of people that I've interviewed. And I think I mentioned the word integrity before, maybe it's a bit pious of me, but there are a lot of people that act with integrity and there are a lot of people that don't. So you kind of end up crossing this line of influencer trader. And, you know, there are some very well-known examples, people like BitBoy, MM Crypto, Moon Carl, you might be familiar with these guys, you know, they've got millions mm -hmm. and millions and millions of followers yeah. and they're doing really, really well for themselves. But I wouldn't ever think of calling them traders because they're marketers and they're very successful marketers. You know, there's a formula that works, it gets clicks, it gets engagement, it gets whatever. That's fine, but they're not the people who I'm interested in, in talking to. The people I want to talk to are the people that maybe are slightly mentally like deranged because they spend hours <laughs> like looking through like really fine detail of how the markets move, trying to understand, okay, well, why is this happening? people who you know in many cases are first principle thinkers so i you know some of the guys i've interviewed and when i've talked about how they got started in trading they literally just kind of went in there as like okay well what does this person do what does this person do what's this person's incentive and i think incentives come into play obviously in crypto a lot you know we you should always focus on who's who the actor is and what their incentives are but it plays out on social as well. So with someone who shills a, like a wrestling, which I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, because I think it's a legitimate way of obviously generating revenue, but wrestling's also saves the end user revenue or kind of funds as well. Um, if someone, if that's their primary source of income, then their incentive isn't to be a great trader. Their incentive is to get as large an audience as possible. And those aren't the same thing. And so the traders I like to spend time with and like to talk to are the people that make me feel stupid. Basically, you know, there's that classic thing of if you're the smartest guy in the room, you know, you're in the wrong room. It, it, if I could summarize my Twitter experience <laughs> in anything, it's, I've just surrounded myself with people who I have no idea what they're saying. Well, maybe that's not, maybe that's a bit extreme, not that I have no idea what they're saying, <laughs> but they're operating on a level above me spe specifically when it comes to trading. Because I, yeah, I love that, you know, you learn stuff 
all the time even if you know every now and again something they say something or they share something and i'm like i have no idea what to take away from this and those are the people i like talking to because their incentives are not about growing an audience although many of them end up growing a big audience because they're very successful their incentives are generally either to become a better trader or blow off steam a lot of trading is waiting you're waiting for the right setup or you're in a position you're just waiting for it to resolve that's when a lot of kind of people come into ct and they kind of just kill some time they play video games they talk shit they share pepes stuff like that and those are the people i like to surround myself with i'm not a, a trader myself i don't even spend time in trading you when i look at charts i do like literally like longest time frame <laughs> usually the lowest time frame. Uh, you know no, the, the highest, like, oh, the know, highest. like zoom out all the way to see, ah, okay, now now could be a good moment to get in. Um, yeah. not, not saying that's a good thing, but I still follow traders online. Do you also get, through your connections, you, you connect with these people, you have uh, conversations with them for your email. I believe a lot of that stuff is happening in private groups, etc., where the traders are speaking more freely because once you do this on Twitter, you get a lot of flack. But the stakes are higher. If you say something that doesn't turn out that way and you have a lot of followers, uh, pushback, etc. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing a little bit behind the scenes as well? Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm not in, in every paid group or kind of secret Telegram chat. But I've done a lot of work with a lot of successful traders, many of whom do have their own communities for educational purposes. So I'm in a couple of communities that are paid and therefore are kind of membership based, but not as a paying member. I got kind of brought in, I guess, as on a friend pass. And so, yeah, I can say that depending on the community, there is a lot of really, really good information out there. People obviously talk a lot more candidly and you get, you get a lot more from your mentor or the team. Um, just from my personal experience. It's not something I've benefited from purely because I'm kind of too busy. I, I wouldn't say I've given up on my dream of becoming a trader, but my focus is, is elsewhere. You know, I still trade, but I'm no longer working on making it specifically through trading. I'm more focused on the build side of things, and I'm just happy to be operating in this space that I love. So yeah, a lot of people hate on you know paid groups and call them scams and stuff again to me it just comes down to poor judge of character you know there are lots of paid groups out there that i would never ever join because i don't respect the people that run it That's what it comes down to is you need to be confident and sure that the person offering you the service is the real deal when i first started trading i paid for content from a guy called tom dante i don't know if you're familiar with him but no. he was kind of, he's given me a lot of the foundation knowledge and, and techniques that I use for when I trade. And I, you know, I paid maybe 200 pounds, one off charge to kind of access the, the lessons. So yeah, I would absolutely recommend to someone if they're thinking of dabbling in trading that paid content can be worth it. There's obviously a lot of good free stuff out there too, but the messages that travel furthest and are loudest aren't necessarily the best, if that makes sense. I think MM Crypto shared something about a bull flag that wasn't a bull flag last week, which is a, a technical pattern. And 
Mm-hmm. It almost doesn't matter to his audience that 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 was that was incorrect, but to you know someone who's spent time honing the craft of trading, that kind of stuff matters, and it it's bewildering almost how someone like that has had the kind of success they've had. But then you're viewing essentially a marketer through a trader's lens. And I don't mean to sort of knock on anyone in particular. There's a lot of free content out there. It's just harder to work out Mm -hmm. what good stuff is. So that's why I think paid content's got a space. Yeah. Who would be somebody and, you know, by the off chance that this person would hear it here, could give you like a great setup to invite them for your newsletter. Who would be like the dream guest for you to have on that you would like to interview i'm not gonna answer that if that's <laughs> well <laughs> okay yeah i'm not i'm not gonna answer it because it's kobe is it they, kobe it's not kobe although i would love to i would love to talk to kobe <laughs> i think i've never met anybody who yeah is basically as undefeatable as kobe like if you ever see kobe in an argument online just wish well you know for the other person because it, it never never goes well for them mm-hmm. he's a very very he's a very very smart guy and i think what's so likable about him in is in this in a space where so many people take themselves so seriously kobe kind of plays the fool mm-hmm. but in a quite a shakespearean way which in shakespeare the fool is always the person that tells the truth and essentially tells hard truths He's always the smartest person in the room. It, it, so if you look at things like King Lear, everybody is too afraid to tell the king kind of what's really going on and, and, and stuff like that. Whereas the fool can basically tell him, like drop a truth bomb, but then it's like, ha ha, because I'm the fool and you know nobody listens mm-hmm. to me because I'm just being silly. But actually the audience and the reader know that that this, this is the truth. And so I think mm-hmm. there's definitely something to Kobe's sort of self-deprecating humor and analysis that certainly belies the fact that he's he's obviously very very smart but no it wasn't kobe although he was definitely on the list it's somebody else that i won't mention now because he actually recent he actually recently approached me oh gcr sold his account you know know that yeah i'm not sure if that stuff is true no no, i'm I'm just i'm 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 memeing i'm memeing no the the person Uh, no the person yeah the person in in question has recently approached me about doing something i'm not sure if it will it will work out but in case it does i I wouldn't want to mention it here but yeah it is it's very exciting that that's amazing so you stand out so much that actually your dream guest comes Uh, to you well that's i mean that's 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 not strictly true i have approached him many (laughs) many times but never i never got a response and then randomly on christmas day last year i got a just a random dm from them saying yeah i'm up for this and then oh that's yeah, amazing kind of best present um, yeah exactly. <laughs> i mean i know you mentioned it before we recorded the podcast to get in touch with people i mean that consumes so much time and it really is worth to put the effort in it because i guess you get as you said you get approached a lot they don't put the work in and then you have no chance. So you can really stand out with, with something a little bit more crafted and also following up, etc. So I totally understand that came to be. And you've now been the proof that this can yield great results. 
Well, hopefully, you know, I, I like to try and give it, I don't know, maybe two or three goes. You don't ever want to like hassle somebody and you just have to think if they were interested, they would have replied by now. But if, yeah, especially if you're trying to reach someone who, who's got a large audience or a following, you have to be appreciative of the fact they probably get, I don't know, a hundred DMs a day or whatever it might be. Since we already talk about, you know, like growing on Twitter, et cetera, and I have here a brand specialist who worked at internationally renowned marketing agencies and who's very successful on Twitter himself. I wonder, if you look at my stuff, what can I do better? I, I suck at Twitter. I have like 200 followers and I spend a lot of time reading on there, not so much producing, but do you see something that you say, hey, look, change that, do this, or looks, you know, like something that you learned that, that is so natural for you that, that you just a general tip maybe for also for other people who, who, who would like to grow on, on the social media or grow whatever project they have in mind. Um, share some alpha with us. Well, I mean, it, it, it has kind of become a science, you know, on its own. And a friend of mine, a guy called Satsdart, S-A-T-S-D-A-R-T, mm -hmm. um, a, a, a trader on, on, on Twitter, he, he actually had a German recent... guy. Sorry, yeah, yeah, he's German. He German? Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. He recently shared a post talking about exactly this in terms of how you can grow your present. And while I won't sort of cover his points, it's, it's a good thread, you should check it out. Generally, it comes down to being yourself and being sort of relentlessly positive. Like he is a machine. You mention him in a tweet and you get a like, like relentlessly. He likes every comment on every one of his posts and he posts a lot. And while I'm not saying that that's necessarily the approach you should take, I think, again, it comes down to incentives. We spoke about incentives earlier. Not only why are you on social, so in your case, you know, it's to grow the DeFi brand and make people aware of the content that you're creating because you feel that it adds value, but also why are your audience on there? And I think generally speaking, all of us are on social media because we're junkies, right? We want the dopamine hit of getting a notification on your phone or logging into, you know, the browser and seeing the little bell and it's got like 10 next to it or 20 plus, which is what it's always on coin fashions. And I think that what Sats was kind of alluding to in that is essentially if we're all druggies, let's just get each other high. <laughs> like let's shit, let's kind of share the <laughs> love because people notice that you're acknowledging them, even with something as meaningless as a like, there's a human being on the other end and actually your behavior can influence that. So, I mean, that's obviously one thing, but if you asked me if I, to start again and remove kind of alpha illustrated and, and start again, you know, could I grow it to 20 K plus, could I grow confessions to 150 K plus? I'm not sure I could like in life generally, sorry, this is maybe going to seem a bit preachy. But just in life generally, I feel like people massively underplay the role that chance has in everything, you know, whether it's a traffic accident because you got held up by a previous car pulling in front of you or, you know, whatever it might be, who you sat next to in school on that first day determines your best friend for life. You know, all of these 
sort of minor incidences in your life. So when it comes to just growing an account, if I started Alpha Illustrated again, you know, there wouldn't be a trading view logo competition to kind of get me that start. There wouldn't be the kind of NFT rush that allowed me to keep working on it and, and growing it. There's so many circumstances and variables that go into the success. And if you look at something like Coinfessions, which to be fair, I didn't have any real expectations for it, but it turns out what people really wanted was an ability to share, you know, their wins and their losses, but in a way that a other people would see them and b kind of, I guess, preserves their anonymity. But then mm. come then come the comments. So someone saying, "Oh, don't worry, dude. I I, could, I did this too," or "Oh, it makes me feel so much better knowing that other people did this." Obviously, some people are just like in there staring up shit, saying, "Oh, you should just bet more," or you know, whatever it is. <laughs> but <laughs> but I think that's what it brings. It it kind of gives everybody access to that audience, if, if that makes sense, right? That you know, there's 150 thousand <laughs> odd followers to that account that anybody with a story that they want to share can reach. And I think that's that's really nice about it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. No, uh, makes total sense. And I, th I think we glance a little bit o over this, but I, if I may have a, a follow-up question to the yeah. very, very beginning when you, when you launched it, you said you wrote some of your own confessions, mm. et cetera, but you still have an account that has zero followers. So were there like some tactical things that you did in the beginning to get it like the first hundred or first thousand followers because it needs some steam right to 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 reach yeah, yeah. out to the world i mean it was a little bit easier because i had the alpha illustrated account right so when i set up coinfessions i tweeted out from alpha saying hey guys i've just started this new project go check it out you know feel free to to kind of leave a submission Alpha was smaller at the time. I think it was maybe 10 or 12,000. And to be fair, it took a little while to get going. In my mind, it did. I was looking at the analytics for something the other day, and I think it got 6,500 followers in its first month. So it can't have taken that long. But I remember <laughs> basically thinking, okay, maybe I've misjudged this. Maybe there isn't much interest in this content. But then it, yeah, then it just took off. And there was maybe a greater variety in the, in the earlier confessions. Maybe it's just me being nostalgic or what, or what have you, but you know, a, a lot of the confessions these days, they revolve around the same narratives that have kind of formed the backdrop of the market over the last four months. So we hear a lot of people talking about Luna, a lot of talk about Celsius, FTX, you know, the obvious things, whereas obviously none of that had happened at the start. So people still were a bit more chipper and a lot of the stories that were coming okay. through felt a bit more personal and yeah, I don't know. Yeah. People just, people just related to them. And, and to be fair, I have no idea how it, how it started growing so quickly. I mean, I got a, a couple of very high profile followers or, or certainly people that came along and commented like Kobe and, G and GCR, actually you've mentioned, you know, a couple of them already. And, and SBS, all of them have kind oh, of wow. been to the page and, and, you know, commented on, on various stories and GCR, you know, to his credit, someone had a medical condition or, and, and it, you know, things were bleak for them. 
And he, he just left a comment saying, if you can prove this is you, you know, I'll basically support your surgery costs or, or whatever it might be. So I don't know oh, if wow. that, I don't know if that ever got resolved, but it did lead mm-hmm. me to introduce a secret ID. So when you do submit a confession, it just allows you to leave a code that no one apart from me will see so that if in the future you ever need to prove you wrote a confession, you can say it was definitely me because the, you know, the secret code is, you know, one, two, three, or what have you. Mm, um, that's what that is about. Yeah. I was wondering about that when, I, when I've seen it. And sometimes people follow up with things. There was one guy who I think was about to buy a house with his girlfriend and he just blew all his money on some shit coin. And it was a very popular post and everyone was worried about him. And he followed it up, you know, a couple of weeks later, just saying, just to let you know, you know, I worked it out with my girlfriend and, you know, I've borrowed money or whatever it is. And we've got the house anyway, but he was able Uh, to do that, you know, approvably as him because he followed it up with the same code. Otherwise someone could just follow up on any confession and say, oh, by the way, you know, I've, I won the lottery or whatever. And it'll be, Mm -hmm. it'll be a bit of nonsense really. Yeah, I think that's a good segue into reading out some of your favorite confessions. Maybe until you pull it up, I can read one here, which is the most successful one, let's say, in pure metrics. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. I had six figures on FTX, my family's net worth. Hadn't lost one trade this year after moving to risk off and taking one to two trades each month. More than doubling my normie income. Told my wife about the FTX FUD this weekend and she panicked on my behalf. She woke up in the middle of the night, Sunday, and transferred our funds from FTX to our ledger, which I'd only shown her how to do in case I die. Apart from that, she has no interest in crypto. Safe to say, I avoided divorce that night. Crazy. That's a crazy one. That's one of the few positive tweets I've seen with FTX involved. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it helps put a little bit of perspective on it because when you see oh you know 10 billion lost or stolen not even not even so much lost it's very difficult to kind of imagine the the actual impact that that necessarily has on individuals if that makes sense so a lot of the yeah a lot of the tweets around ftx you really start to understand the real ramifications and kind of the reality that a lot of people were having kind of lived through. I personally, I took a very significant for me amount of money off FTX. I think it was, yeah, 24 hours, maybe less before, you know, withdrawals were frozen and everything fell apart. So I kind of got away very lightly yeah. or very luckily. And I don't, yeah, I don't know how I would feel if, if I'd lost that money, it would have been, yeah, absolutely Definitely. I, I was just the other day tweeting about that because I, I quit my job and at the Pico top, so to say, and then um, mm. was doing crypto myself. And I think kind of these moments where I was not stuck in an office helped me to get it off because I, I was literally working in a cafe and I've seen the thought happening on Twitter and I literally mm. just like packed, went home and it took hours until it was out. 24 hours later, it would have been all closed down. So that was the one benefit I had from quitting my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, fortune favors the brave, as, as they say. So. <laughs> Another one which I like is here. 
when Gary Wee launched his NFT book project, you got one NFT for every nine books purchased. I photoshopped many receipts and received 100 plus NFTs, which I've sold for around $80,000 total from zero invested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So never underestimate the resourcefulness of a crypto trader. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, that, that's fraud, but uh, it's, it's very clever. <laughs> I can read one more. I have one more here. Yeah, go for it. Wife and I live a simple life on 20K USD a year. Made mid seven figures with our savings this cycle. Been sitting in our account for one plus year and she still hasn't checked. I guess one day she will look and our lives will change forever. Until then, doing what we love and carrying on as usual. That's a wholesome one as well. Yeah, that's that's nice. That's nice. And those are some of my favorite ones where you can feel like there's a real human story. And so I think maybe my favorite all-time confession, I think I received, it was like the second day that Confessions was running. I received it on the 4th of April. And it goes, I sold all my crypto during the May 2021 crash, not because of panic, but paying for my son's chemotherapy is the best decision I've ever made, even though he's gone now. Wow. And like that just really, I don't know, it just really hit me. And I was like, wow. And I feel like part of the reason I love that so much is certainly in the crypto space, it's very easy to lose track of you know, the utility of the money in the real world, you know, you kind of get this numbness to the, the kind of figures that you're handling or mm -hmm. that you see kind of being thrown around and that mm -hmm. it's important to remember there are more important thing in life mm. than, than crypto. And I think that was a really early demonstration that everything has its order in that kind of of priority and you know family and health are really important definitely definitely back in the days it was more on reddit and there was also some you know people uh, kind of celebrating their wins and a couple of times like stuff like this came up where and everybody's just in, in the mindset back in the days there everybody's huddle 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 you know like whenever you sold and you said you sold like everybody was piling in the comments on and said why, why did you sell you shouldn't sell but from time to time people came with these couple of wins and then everybody was celebrating that as well because at the end of the day you play this game to reach a goal right and the goal it has to do something with your life not just to accumulate more digital yeah, that... I, I couldn't couldn't agree more. And actually, that leads me on to the next one that I've selected, which is also from April. So again, a very early one. This is from somebody who has made a lot of money and essentially has been left feeling very unfulfilled and unhappy. From March 2020 to now, I went from around 200k to making 70 million. Confusingly, I feel totally lost on the purpose of life. I expected life to be perfect, but it's not. I'm more impatient, have a shorter temper, and feel like a waste of life for having money but not adding any real value to the world. Basically, just won the lottery, and now I'm sitting around. It's isolating and depressing. And that was the first confession of that type 
that I received and, you know, have received several more and, you know, sometimes they get called, you know, boastful or whatever, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure it is. I think the reality is that people expect, you know, wealth or kind of extreme wealth to be some sort of magic bullet that's going to make them happier people. And it's not the case. And I was doing some research after actually receiving this one. And there is actually a syndrome, it's called sudden wealth syndrome, where you very, very quickly or overnight kind of come into loads and loads of money and how that has a really negative effect on your mental health, because a lot of the frameworks in your life essentially cease to exist anymore. So whether that's, you know, a, a nine to five job and, you know, X number of holidays, you know, days or a year. A lot of those restrictions and stuff are taken away from you. And I don't know if you're familiar with the, the concept of paradox of choice, where essentially having the more choice you have, the unhappier you are, because you end up with analysis paralysis. You're thinking, well, I could do that and I could do that and I could do that. And whatever you end up doing, it's easy to believe that you could have picked something better. It's why if you go to a restaurant and there's only, I don't know, four things on the menu, it's very easy for you to be like, that's the one for me. And when it comes, you think, great, yeah, what a, what a good choice I made. If you go to a restaurant mm. with a hundred things on the menu, no matter how good your food is, you know, you might see someone else, another dish that you'd been considering kind of being taken to another table and you think, ah, oh, that actually looks a little bit better than what I've got. And it's just the opportunity cost of having that choice. There's a really interesting TED talk about this by a psychologist called Barry Schwartz called The Paradox of Choice. And essentially the premise or the kind of the globally accepted truth is that the more choice you have, the more freedom you have, and the more freedom you have, the happier you are. And he posits that that's simply not true. It's true up to a certain point, but like a goldfish in a bowl, kind of they're happier within a sort of a defined ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And I think what I liked about this confession was it goes to show that the goal that you're striving for isn't going to change who you are, isn't going to make you suddenly happy. You'll just be rich and unhappy instead of poor or, you know, not rich and unhappy. And I just think that's really important. I think it's something that maybe gets lost in the kind of wag me mindset, which is, oh yeah, we're all going to get rich together and it's going to be brilliant, except generally speaking, you know, the odds would suggest that we're not going to really get rich. And those that do, don't do it together. I mean, apart from, you know, maybe a few, a few select groups and, and things like that. So yeah, I just think, I don't know if you're familiar with the phrase, the cake is a lie. Are you familiar with that? No, that, that one I haven't heard. No. Okay. So it's from a video game called Portal. It's a fantastic game from Valve who did Half-Life and it's like a puzzle uh -huh. game and you shoot, you shoot like rings on the wall and you can travel from one ring to another. And it's kind of, you've got to solve the puzzles to escape. But throughout the game, you're being promised that, oh, keep going, keep going. There's cake. There's cake at the end. It's like a space game that the motivation is cake. <laughs> that's, yeah. It's like, oh, we're planning, yeah. we're planning a big party for you. And, and then you kind of, as the game develops, it kind of gets darker and darker and you see kind of people scrawling on the wall in kind of blood or kind of ink. The cake is a lie. The cake is a lie. And it kind of come to commonly mean that you know, your promised reward doesn't exist. 
system essentially and that kind of the, the thing that you're striving for is like a mirage and and then no sooner do you get there than you realize it was never there at all so mm-hmm. yeah i like to think about it in that sense that the wealth that people seek isn't gonna isn't gonna change who they are this was a triumph i'm making a note here huge success it's hard to overstate my satisfaction aperture science if you are still listening, chances are that you liked this episode. DeFi is not just me, it's also you, the listener. And each day there are more listeners joining and together we can spread the word about DeFi by giving it 5 stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening. Send this episode to a friend who might be interested. Check out the website, visit defire.money and click on subscribe to get the new episode and in the future also blog posts directly into your inbox. Also make sure to follow me on Twitter at DeFireMoney. All of this helps so we can continue to produce more episodes more frequently and get the most interesting guests that you deserve. Good night and see you soon.